Rebels, it's that time. Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. Who Rebels, we got a program for you today. I got to tell you, we don't shy away from topics. Uh, we started off talking about uh, awkward stuff. We're going to keep going talking about awkward stuff. And uh, we're going to talk about sex addiction today. And today's podcast is sponsored by Trinova, Amazon.com slash Trinova, code word REBELPOD for 20% off everything they sell. In fact, if you go to Instagram at James Ryan Dobson or on Facebook at J Ryan Dobson, you can see photos of me with the Trinova foam cannon washing the Atomic Mom's car. It is all the fun in the world. It makes you want to wash your car spraying giant buckets of foam all over it like that. And we are using the all-purpose cleaner and the dish soap all the time. Dish soap, blue agave, all-purpose cleaner, uh, white tea, and thyme scent. Ooh, it is fantastic. Laura cleaned the kitchen the other night. Oh, my goodness. It was so awesome. It smelled so good. I dug it. So thank you to Trinova, Amazon.com slash Trinova, code word Rebel Pod. Our guest today is Marnie Faree. Usually when you hear sex addiction, you think about men and women struggle with it too. There is so much shame. There is so much guilt. And Marnie dispels a lot of that in today's program. She's also written a book called No Stones. You can find that on Amazon or wherever books are sold. So without any further ado, here is Marnie Faree on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Marnie, thank you for coming on the program today. This is, um, it's an awkward subject. It's a difficult one. It's messy. It's sticky. It's not talked about enough. (laughs) So by all means, thank you for being vulnerable, for sharing your story, for writing this book, and for being here to help out all the parents on Rebel Parenting. Thank you. I'm honored. More and more conversations need to happen about the topic of sexuality and sex and challenges around those issues. So I, I love doing this. I'm glad to be with you. Thank Definitely. you. I'm going to start with something you wrote in your book. And I think it's a great way to start this program um, because there's so much shame. There's so much guilt. There's so mm, much yeah. finger pointing and scarlet lettering and all those types of things going on. And you wrote this, your daughter wrote the forward to your book, which I think is beautiful. <laughs> this is from page yeah. 162. I encourage you, dear one, to respond to the part of your spirit that wants to get well. Mm. She's the one who prompted you to pick up this book and read this far. She is the one who's reaching out for help. Listen to her, foster her, nourish that healthy part of you to increase each day. Mm. When her influence grows dim beneath the power of addiction, take a time out and be still. Search within for even the smallest glimmer of her motivating presence. Ask the help of the one who will not throw stones. Ask to be reminded of your desire for healing. Marnie, that is such a great piece. The book is called No Stones, and we don't believe in that at Rebel Parenting. We are not here to point fingers and throw stones and to tear people down. Your story is quite incredible, and it tackles a very difficult subject. Can you, uh, you know, in, in... Obviously, we have parents listening, and every now and then there's kids in the rooms, but can you dive into your story a little bit, and let's just try to unpack some of it? Sure. I'd, I'd be glad to. It's 
it, it's interesting to hear you read that passage from No Stones. Um, you know, the book has been written for a good while. Uh, the mm-hmm. book itself has had quite a journey, but that's a different topic. <laughs> and so I haven't actually read it in, I don't know, a long time. So mm-hmm. just to hear it, I think those are God words. You know, I don't yeah. think I'm that smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think he definitely so inspired you there. And it, it helps. I, I think... You know, we say it here on Rebel Parenting all the time, the loudest voice in a woman's head is the one saying she's doing a bad job. And we just don't believe it. And you had that voice for a long time. Oh, sure. You know, let's sure. talk about your story a little bit and how you unpacked it and how you got rid of that voice. Um, I'm, I'm glad to. It's, it, it is, people tell me quite a story. I'm not sure I have that perspective because it's just my life. Yeah. You know? But um, I would say and say all across the country, I am a grateful recovering sex and love and relationship addict. Mm. So I have lived the story of um, feeling stoned, both from the inner voices of shame that enveloped me and from others around me and have been through a process of um, healing and redemption. And the redemptive part is the main main focus of the story. But mm-hmm. I've I would love to tell you just the briefest of the the overview. I'm yeah. a PK, so <laughs> I imagine that many of your listeners resonate with that in in terms of the initial standing for a preacher's kid. So oh, yeah. I grew up in a Christian home and with um, parents who dearly, dearly loved the Lord. Hmm. Uh, and there were also a number of challenges. My mother died from cancer when I was three years old. Wow. So... That early, early attachment loss, mm. um, as I understand today, was just pivotal and enormous as it would be for anyone. And our family wasn't equipped to deal with that loss and the grief and a lot of things associated with that. Um, my father, who has now been deceased for a number of years, mm-hmm. just very much a man who loved God and a brilliant speaker and writer and thinker and brought probably thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Christ. Uh, Also, however, at the same time, it's what I call the big and in my life. All of those things that I honor and that were helpful and true. And Mm -hmm. the other part was his secrets. He struggled all of his life with different forms of sexual addiction. And his addiction brought perpetrators into our home. Mm. And so I was sexually abused by a variety of different people. But the longest and most powerful was a man who was his, um, quote, best friend and a companion for my father. And that began when I was five and actually continued uh, through adulthood. I mean, mm. I thought at that point it was an affair, but sure. I actually yeah. thought all the way through that it was an affair um, and Marty, when I realized your dad, at 16. Your dad brought this person to the home. He was lonely and grieving and sad and he's got a little girl in the house and doesn't know how to handle it and his wife has just passed away and he's he's got his own secrets and his own skeletons that uh, clearly at three you don't know about and at five he brings this man in and you you've lost your mom I mean Laura knows this firsthand having lost her mom mm. you're you're reaching out and you, and you need someone you've got this authority figure in the home that those are some powerful relationships taking place there a person your dad brought into the home it's his quote-unquote best friend Hmm. wow yeah yeah and there were you know in retrospect of course both clinically and and spiritually but i i have quite the clinical lens because of my own therapeutic journey and then my clinical training yeah there 
it, it's almost a, well, of course, yeah. scenario. Okay. Uh, as mm-hmm. All the pieces get, get put together. But the reality, though, Ryan, is there were many, many, many men. And so it was a, a good bit more complicated. Um, and yeah. my father was just like me. He was coping and medicating mm. uh, the only way he knew how from his own experiences um, of victimization. So, you know, the Bible talks about the generational sin passes yeah. from generation to generation. And mm. so that certainly was was true. Mm. Um, looking back, probably by the time I was 17 or 18, I would say I was a full-blown sex love and relationship addict because I wanted to fill my own black hole inside, which, of course, I could not name or mm. understand at that point. But I wanted to fill that need for attention and affirmation and validation and presence, especially. Um, and the only way I knew how to do that was <clears throat> through um, sex and mm. through giving myself away. And there were tons of of good Christian, both adults and kids on the college campus where my father was an academic dean, as well as a full-time preacher, who were real willing to tell me that I was just fabulous and great and mm. really soothe the affirmation wound if I would be sexual with them. And oh. I was very willing to be sexual with them if they just told me I was okay. Yeah. So it was a big setup uh, that we see. I hear this story, y'all, time and time and time and time again at Bethesda workshops or at people who've, women especially who've read my book, No Stones, and they're just saying, this is my story. Mm. So it's such a sad universal of how how Satan takes woundedness and pain that is not our fault and manipulates all of that wound and comes up with that, quote, perfect solution. Yeah, yeah. perfect. To, uh, That's right. You know, to salve, salve those wounds. And so, could, so it's something I hear always. Wow. Um, at first, I, I want to dive into two things, but can you just give our listeners a, like a definition or some terminology for sexual addiction? I um, just so we can clarify. Sure. Um, sexual addiction is a real thing, despite some in the media and different places that say it isn't. Okay. It is most closely akin, uh, it's called a behavioral addiction. Think about food, yeah. eating disorders mm-hmm. of various type, types, and think about gambling. That we now understand, um, and the American Society for Addiction Medicine, for example, and others are are very much coming into the forefront and saying behavioral addictions are real. Okay. So sex addiction, though, like any addiction, has some some components of how do we separate whether this is, quote, just, please see, see those air quotes here <laughs> yeah. in my office, um, just sexual sin. Okay. Or if it's progressed down the continuum to addiction. And you can look at that by, by looking at um, four really quick components of what makes something addictive rather than just sin or a problem. And the first is compulsion. Okay. Is this something that somebody feels compelled to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about, I don't understand what I do. Oh, right. What yeah. I want. The good I don't do and the mm. bad I do. Um, that's compulsion. Okay. And so when someone is trying to stop whatever the behavior is, and aren't able to, despite best efforts, that's that's compulsion. Obsession. Mm. It becomes an organizing principle of life. It's just something that's always on on the mind. Okay. Yeah. Continuing despite negative consequences. Okay. We see that, of course, with alcohol or drugs. Yeah. um, A lot more easily sometimes. 
and then tolerance. There's a huge mm. neurochemical, neurobiological factor in all of this, and that just simply means it takes more and more to get the same result. Mm. So escalation is another word for that. Okay. You know, you'll see the person who may be, again, just looking at pornography, and there'll come a point before too long where that's not going to be enough, and they're going to escalate to most of the time to either different um, harder core, if you would, okay. or they're going to go on to other behaviors that are crossing the flesh line, it's yeah. called, that are actively involved with other people. You know, so, Marty, my dad studied this. Uh, in the 80s, he was asked uh, to be on the Attorney General's Commission to study pornography. And mm. at that time, uh, the, you know, the general belief was that pornography wasn't bad at all. It was just no big deal. Right. You know, it's spice up your right. sex life, and it's, and it's really not exactly. that big of a deal. And you know, I've heard people talk about that commission in uh, recent years, and there's a lot of discrepancy and a lot of misinformation about it. One is that they were looking at softcore pornography, you know, Playboy penthouse, things like that. Uh, that's not what they were dealing with. They were dealing with very serious, hardcore pornography, abuse, uh, things that I don't want to talk about and get into on here. It was just the tip of the iceberg for what was coming. Pornography right. is so insidious. It has gotten so far into our culture. And Christians aren't talking about it. Pastors rarely talk about it. I mean, we are unique in that we opened our broadcast. Our first broadcast was on pornography addiction. Oh, good for you. Well, I'm glad that you say that. Not, not, that <laughs> not many, many people, people say that. Not many people no, are, are happy I'm with the song. I'm with that. <laughs> Yeah, because it is everywhere. I mean, it's true. We yeah. had uh, Trey Dixon on from True North Ministries. 90% of the men that go through their programs are struggling with pornography. I mean, it is a big deal. When you talk about escalation, I remember my dad interviewed Ted Bundy the night before mm. his execution. Wow. Uh, he said it's the hardest thing he's ever done. And it's not for everyone. And my dad would be quick to point that out. Not everybody goes down Ted Bundy's path. But he clearly stated in his interview, it started with finding pornography. He found a magazine and it escalated and it escalated and it escalated to acting out and then it escalated further where, you know, acting out sexually with women wasn't enough. And it got to the point where he became a serial rapist and serial murderer over time, it's not everybody, but the escalation nature of an addiction, that's where this goes. The addiction to pornography, the addiction um, does head down an insidious path. So you also say in the book that um, sexual addiction isn't really about sex at all. Uh, it's about that's intimacy. Exactly right. It's an intimacy disorder. Yeah. Can you talk about that? That's a big one because... Uh, you know, we coach couples, and when you've been cheated on, when your spouse has cheated, it's so personal. It feels so per. What am I not enough for you? You know, all those types of questions come out. When in fact, this really isn't about sex, and it wasn't for you. Can you unpack that side of this disorder? You're you're exactly right, and that's quite a misunderstood thing. And unfortunately, within Christendom at large, I think that aspect of acting out sexual addiction, pornography even, as an intimacy disorder is missed. And so mm. we come at the issue with a lot of behavioral stuff, okay. you know, just stop and those kinds of things, which, which are not going to be successful long term. I, again, I think my story illustrates this concept. Um, my, my father was such a wounded man, and he had lost his wife, whom he dearly, dearly loved. And in the 
50s, there weren't single parents, you know, mm. raising kids. Yeah. Um, especially not a pretty big deal preacher. And so he's living life in a fishbowl. And mm. who is he supposed to talk to about his own challenges? Yeah. Um, but even who is he supposed to talk to about the grief over his wife? Mm. We, in that time, especially, preachers just were not allowed to be vulnerable like that. Mm. So he was a man who was robbed of intimacy. And I'm not talking about sex at all. I'm talking yeah. about connection. Oh, yeah. Um, who do you talk to at the and, end of the day? Who do you say, I'm tired of that person complaining all the time? Who do you say, you know, I mean, as a pastor, everybody complains about everything. The music's too loud. The music's too soft. The air's too high. It's too cold. You got to have someone to talk to. He lost complete. He lost that completely. And you did too. I mean, you both mm. were so wounded and so lonely at that time. Mm. Right. And so what in the clinical world, it's called attachment. That God made us for a relationship. And God made us for a relationship, not just with God, but also with other people. And we miss that sometimes. Mm. And I hope this doesn't sound heretical, but sometimes we focus so much on God, which obviously is great, but we forget that we need we need Jesus with skin on. We need God community. with other people. Yeah. And we need community. Mm-hmm. And no one can do life alone. And so when we're absent, those healthy coping skills, when we're absent a healthy community, when we are carrying all of that shame from painful experiences and all the false core beliefs about that, all of those are characteristics of an intimacy disorder. Mm. And what did Satan know is the best fault solution, false intimacy, Schomburg calls it? Sex. Mm, sex. So what we're really wanting is that deep connection. It's a spiritual connection. It's an emotional connection. Uh, it's an attachment connection. And we are hardwired for relationships, healthy relationships with other people. And when those are absent, there's a plethora now in our pornified nation of mm. pornography and yeah. other things that will fill that gap actually awfully well in the short term. Yeah. Hmm. We're seeing that so often in, in young men. You know, you get college age men and you think of the era they've grown up in. How do you be a man in the age of feminism? And you're supposed to not, you know, don't hold open doors and don't carry things and don't wrestle and don't, you know, don't be manly. And the relationships are complicated and how do you communicate all those things? And then all of a sudden, hey, pornography. And you've got this generation of boys that play video games and they look at porn because Mm -hmm. it's just too complicated and we're in trouble. I mean, we're just, and women are doing it too. It's just everywhere. Yeah. That's what I wanted to ask. Like how, how prevalent do you, is it in the church? Cause I was talking to someone about this subject and the, and I said, you know, in her book, she describes that it's, it could be the lady sitting right next to you in, in church service. So what's your estimation of the, the problem that we're looking at? Uh, it is a tsunami. Yeah. Really? It is epidemic. Okay. Ab- absolutely. Sex addiction, I believe, especially in the form of pornography. Okay. Is the addiction of choice among Christians. Really? And so how, how do you think we could combat it? Like as, as an individual sitting here, I, I know I, I do have some friends that have struggled with it and they've come out and, and they're doing great and they've yeah. got a team around them to help them. And, and we want to talk later about some tools to get into the recovery. But how do we start attacking this as Christians? I think we do it one um, family and one mm. voice and one sermon and one podcast at a time. Mm. Nice. We begin, we need Christians who are standing up against our culture, not in a ain't that awful way, though mm. the culture is horrible, but in a 
calling it out for what it is Mm -hmm. and teaching young people that all of the sexualization and the just the whole pornified culture is teaching them such false messages and we need to teach our young young men different messages and our young women Mm -hmm. because this the the pornography of today is violent and it's Mm. uh, demeaning and it's very different from the playboy that i found under my father's bed when i was five you know marty vastly vastly different it is it's vastly vastly it is progressed so quickly the internet creates a niche market for every single person out there it has progressed very 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 quickly uh and you know, in a way, you worry about this because Christians don't like to talk about things like this. We don't like controversy. We don't want to talk about it in church. And and I understand it from a pastor's point of view. You don't want to split your congregation over issues. And, I mean, we are we are really behaving in a bit naive, in a really naive way. Not a bit, but a super naive way, hoping our kids don't stumble on this. It's just a hope. And and that hope is, right. is baseless because it is out there. Um, how do we start talking about it? How, how do we... Teens, yeah. You know, when you go to your pastor and you say, you know, we got to talk about this, I can see the look on their face. Like, are you kidding? I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about homosexuality. I'm not going to talk about abortion. And I'm not talking about Trump. I'm not talking about those things in my church. But without it, we're destroying our churches and we're really setting our young people up for failure. Right, right, we are, because we're still, and this isn't a bad thing, but we're still, you know, holding out some, what we call biblical values around sexuality, and mm-hmm. we define that, but we're not equipping this generation with any tools to help them achieve that. What are some tools and that we could equip them? Um, I think, again, if we start at the, the youth pastors, which are going to take the senior pastor, or, you know, whatever. The oh, okay, called, yeah. Th- that's going to take that person's approval. Um, but I really think, Ryan, maybe one of the reasons we don't talk about it is because so many Christian leaders struggle with this themselves. <laughs> and so they don't want to open this Pandora's box because maybe their secret might come out too. Mm. But I see that at church after church after church where really? I'm minister or we're having their um, some of their church leadership come through Bethesda Workshops, which is our program around um, helping treat pornography and sex addiction. Um, it's just so endemic that that it's hard to talk about because, you know, I'm talking about me sure. <laughs> um, sure. for whoever's dealing with it. But I think if we if we start with having youth leaders have really honest conversations with the guys in their youth group mm-hmm. and and with the girls in their youth group and have them talk with their female leaders and really talk about yeah. what messages are you getting about sex mm-hmm. in this culture mm-hmm. and they'll know if, yeah. if it's a safe enough environment they, they will talk about it and instead of shaming them and saying well don't look at pornography don't you know that's wrong which to be clear I do believe that it is yeah. um, and of course it, they know that but course. they know that yeah. and yeah. that's not helpful no. and and so to to help them understand how our whole culture um, from the top down, from, hmm. from even, I mean, you can, maybe you're going to censor this, even from our now president down, yeah. who's talking about yeah. objectifying and groping and sexualizing people. Yep. And right. our culture does that, mm-hmm. and pornography does that. And so it's going to take, one of the leaders in the field of anti-pornography is um, a woman named Dr. Gail Dines, and 
powerful, astonishingly disturbing work uh, within the cr- clinical community. Um, she she would not identify herself as a Christian. So coming from the clinical community, but cause yeah. the problem of pornography, the um, public health crisis of wow. our decade. Really? Because, because of the violence, because yeah. of the um, sexually transmitted diseases, because mm-hmm. of the violence that is leading to more violent, non-consensual sex, sex. Okay. because of, of um, the, the ways that it's rewiring people's brain and the mm-hmm. attention issues, yes. because of the enormous public health costs, the enormous economic cost in the workplace. It's just, it was so fascinating. I heard her speak at a big clinical conference uh, last, by this time last year, and I, I stood, I sat there and was mesmerized by the horrible thing she was saying, and at the same time really grateful that now here's a yeah. very prominent researcher right. saying these things so that the culture can't say, oh, it's just you Christians. Yeah. So sex is bad. So like, crazy. Yes, somebody, yeah. you know. Um, so it's so interesting that 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 there's now a, a movement, but she says that it will take a public health outcry the way it happened around tobacco. You know, who would have thought yeah, 20 years right. ago that, yeah. that yeah. you couldn't have tobacco mm-hmm. in public anywhere? Correct. But our culture managed to do that when they realized what a big deal this was, even though it was such a part of the culture. Yeah. And it's going to take something like that around pornography. But I think it's also going to take those of us who have struggled to tell our stories because it resonates with so many bajillions of people mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. and for the church to begin to to talk about it. I think I think silence in this area is a great sin of the church to not call out um, this issue and provide some help, real help. Mm. Marnie, I couldn't agree more. You talk about in the book how when a woman is coming out of this addiction, uh, you write about how important it is for her to use full disclosure on her addiction. Do you really mean everything? And we've talked about this with pornography addiction, things like that. To whom and to what degree? Uh, To whom should she be completely honest and to what degree of honesty? Those are great questions. And, you know, the answers are... Um, kind of lengthy and, and just a more of a soundbite. If if she is married or in a significant relationship, her husband or her significant boyfriend or fiance deserves to know the complete truth. She also needs to be disclosing at an even much deeper level of detail her sexual acting out and her sexual history to another woman like a sponsor in a 12-step program. The 12-step recovery talks about we are as sick as our secrets. And that secret Mm -hmm. will poison a relationship. It will destroy a marriage. Uh, Even if it is never exposed, she will not be able, because again, this is an intimacy disorder, which we talked about in your earlier segment. Mm -hmm. She will never be able to fully give her heart, Mm. um, certainly, or her body in a healthy, intimate way to her husband if she's holding these secrets. Sure. Yeah. And so, so we do teach, and there's a whole a whole protocol of what full disclosure looks like, and it's not something to do by yourself at the kitchen table <laughs> at 11 p.m. So and all so, you listening, if, yeah. if if this is an yeah. issue coming up for you. Just yeah, take the yeah. advice here. Maybe not tonight at the kitchen table. Right. Definitely bring exactly. a third, get a third t- party person Get a team in. first. You know, Marnie, you talk. Get a team and get a, a clinician who is well-trained in doing this. It's it's very much of a process. Perfect. Um, 
um, on the Bethesda Workshops website, um, Bethesda, like Bethesda, Maryland, but it stands for Healing at the Pool of Bethesda, oh, yeah. Workshops, pro with an S, dot org. We have a few podcasts, and two of them are specifically about disclosure, so that might be a resource for listeners. Nice. Um, about oh, I'll put what, that in our show notes for sure. Yeah, I'll definitely include that in our show notes. I'll put links directly to those podcasts. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, but again, disclosure is one of the early steps in rebuilding trust. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a relationship based on trust is part of what's required for a relationship that is intimate. And again, I'm, I'm talking much, much more broadly than around sexuality. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So disclosure is important. But an individual is going to need a lot of help with the shame, hmm. with the the secrets, the hiding, the the coping um, mm-hmm. from from caring Christian people, and almost always from a therapist who's well trained in right. helping these areas. Marnie, you talked earlier about um, how sexual addiction is similar to a gambling addiction. I, I'm more versed than I'd like to be in addictions. Um, I do know that gambling addiction is one of the hardest to break because of what's called a variable reward system. If you're going to use heroin, every time you inject heroin, you're probably going to get high or it's going to at least take the bad feelings away because you're getting high. Gambling, who knows? Maybe I'll win today. Maybe I won't win today. And because it's a variable reward system, breaking the habit is so much harder. Is that why you equate this um, why it's similar to sexual addiction and gambling addiction is the variable reward system. Is that why it's so hard to get out of? That's so interesting, Ryan. I had not actually thought of it in, in those terms. So you've taught me something. Hey, thank you. <laughs> um, I think of it in terms of just the, the behavioral nature that you're not actually ingesting something into your body. Mm, sure. Um, that's, that's what makes it closest. I think in many ways the closest first cousin maybe even a twin for sexual addiction is food yeah because Mm -hmm. we we require food to live uh and to survive and we are made as sexual beings god created us as sexual beings that doesn't necessarily mean having sex in any of its forms but we are made fully sexual and so both of those are core to how god made us and who we are and all of our natural needs and urges Mm -hmm. and so there's a whole lot of interlap um, and intertwining and overlap between sexual addiction and food especially. But this sure. idea of variable reward, I think that especially fits to pornography, back mm. to what we were talking with in your earlier segment. Because you click on this link and maybe you get something that really you like in terms right. of pornography and fires you up. And maybe you don't, but you can mm-hmm. keep clicking. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just this constant... Um, just unending sure. supply and sure. some of it is going to be exactly matched to your arousal template and really be your thing and it's like wow i, I have hit the proverbial jackpot yeah hmm. yeah marnie why do you say that healing from trauma is so important you know a lot of people we just want to move on listen some things happened in the past i don't want to think about it i don't want to bring it up i don't want to tear the band-aid off that wound again i just want to move on I was working with a coach a couple of years ago and his daughter had been uh, molested. And, you know, it's been a few years. She's been in intensive counseling and outpatient counseling, all these kinds of things. And there are trigger points, which I understand. And it was a while ago and he he was frustrated and he was venting to me. Although I see, you know, it's hard to hide your feelings. And he was like, my goodness, when is she going to get over this? And I was like, oh, well, 
maybe never. I mean, right. You know, so why can't we just put it in the past? Why do we need to heal from this? Why do we need to revisit those? Why do we need to have full disclosure? Why do I need to go to, can I not just, can I not just put it in the closet? Can, can I, it just go away? Can I just put it in the safe and lock it and go away? <laughs> yeah. Why is the healing process so important? Because it, it is a process and all of those things you mentioned are, are the easier, simpler routes that people want to do and they're totally ineffective. Think mm. of trauma. That is the engine that is driving someone's behavior, whether they're aware of it or not. And there's oh. a huge neurochemical component about all of that. Um, trauma rewires the brain. Mm-hmm. And in terms of sexuality, um, we, we become attached neurochemically to the things that have deeply impacted us. Hmm. And neurons that fire together, wire together is what it's called. So if oh. early experiences of sexuality were wired neurochemically around even just the, the 11-year-old boy who's hiding this image that's up on his tablet from the mom that might be walking in this into the room Mm -hmm. that's that's a huge hit of adrenaline and of arousal and of shame and those things start to get paired and so a healing process even deep within the the body and the spirit i think we would call it as christians needs to unwire those things from Mm -hmm. from firing together and and I think we're learning so much more, including by great Christian writers, Kurt Thompson and others, about the brain and about how all this works, that we're coming to understand um, how, how these processes work that keep someone stuck or keep someone mm-hmm. from being unsuccessful when they haven't addressed their trauma. I, I love that what you're saying to this pastor about, you know, it may never be healed. It's like the person who, for whatever reason, has had a, a limb amputated. When's she going to get over that? Well, yeah. actually, never, never. but yeah. she's going to learn how to to function without that limb. It's a different different kind of, of new setting. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, you also talk about sharing your story that it's healing for you. I, I know Ryan and I have had friends who are in 12-step programs and been around that kind of uh, help and support. So what is it for you that sharing your story that actually aids in the process of healing? Uh, that's such a sweet question, Laura. Um, and it's, it's very true for me. I do a presentation pretty often called redeeming the pain, which is tracing mm. my story and showing how, and all the different aspects along the way God has redeemed those pains. And, and it's just beautiful to see, um, and to, to talk about. And, and even on that very personal level, when I tell my story, including at things like on this, on this podcast, yeah. uh, y- y'all aren't running away and saying, oh, gosh, you're awful. And, you know, mm. why, in the world? why did we think it was a good idea to have a woman talk about sex and pornography on this program? This is not a, <laughs> this is not a good plan. <laughs> you know, just that acceptance. I think mm. very often we receive grace and we come to understand the grace from God. We, re- we first that's channeled through other people. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and so for me, I tell my story hundreds of times a year, literally, um, wow. in different formats and different ways, and have been doing that for 20 years. And it's, it's sweet. I feel God's sweet savor and presence every single time. And, and people will say to me, you know, I thought I was the only one. That's the, the phrase I hear more than anything else, especially from women. And to think, because I thought that too always, for years and years and years, until I had 
rock bottom and entered recovery. And to be able to, you know, Second Corinthians talks about comforting, comfort someone else with the comfort that oh, I have received. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. That, that is helps beautiful. me. It is. Thank you for sharing your story. I, I just wonder where, so say someone's listening and they're like, yep, I'm done. I want to get help. Where would you suggest, where should we direct them? Where mm-hmm. is the first step that someone could take? I, I think a first step is to tell someone who is safe. Okay. And that may be harder to find than, than, <laughs> than people may it. think. Yeah. Um, again, exactly why we need places like Rebel Parenting and why churches need to be talking about this so that, that a person could go talk to his or her pastor and receive both grace but also mm. accurate information. Yeah. Um, that would be that would be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Fortunately one of the good things about the internet is that they're now online lots and lots and lots of fabulous resources and a good number of them are coming from within the Christian community so they're you know accompanying our faith and uh, value system about that along with good clinical information so Mm. there are places like that I mean I don't want to just count my own program because yeah um, there are a lot out there who are who are being helpful but um, the Bethesda website has a lot of (laughs) Thank you. We do yeah. think so. Um, has a lot of great resources on it um, and links to both try to find a counselor in your area through okay. uh, clinical community, but also recommended reading and all of those kinds of things are good places to start. 12-step programs are a fabulous next step okay. to be involved in, in just the regular 12-step programs that are similar to Alcoholics Anonymous, but around the issue of sexual addiction. Sexaholics Anonymous is one of the most prominent. Sex Addicts Anonymous is its first cousin, and Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous is the first cousin with more of a relationship, love addiction mm-hmm. kind of focus. And all of those those healing rooms are just mm. unbelievable to, okay. to be a part of a community of others who've had similar struggles and Hopefully there'll be a good number of folks who are further down the road so they can share their experience, strength, and hope with the newcomer. That's a free resource. That's an invaluable resource. Mm-hmm. All you listening, that's free. Yeah. So it just takes getting up and walking through the door. Definitely. Right. Mm. Which is an extraordinary hard thing to do, unfortunately, but at least it's free. <laughs> yes. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Marnie, we appreciate you. What an amazing, you know, it's hard. I was so nervous about doing the broadcast and how do you say, oh, it's, such a, it's a great broadcast, but it is, it's a mm-hmm. great, this, this broadcast is actually going to bring hope and healing to a lot of people. There are people there that are thinking, I don't know, I, I've been stuck in this for so long. I tell you, follow these, this advice and these directions and you will receive help and we couldn't have done it without you, Marnie. Mm-hmm. We appreciate thank you. you. Oh, thank you. I'm very, very honored to have this forum and to to hopefully reach a lot more folks with the idea of healing healing and redemption are possible. Our special thanks to Marnie for coming on the podcast and being so honest and so open and so vulnerable. We really do appreciate her. Also, special thanks to The Voice of the Martyrs. Persecution.com is their website. They've been helping those around the world who are being persecuted for our gospel for more than 50 years. We appreciate them so much. Please go to their site, check out what they do, tell them you found them at Rebel Parenting. God bless Rebels. We'll see you soon. Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House. And when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. That's R-E-B-E-L 
and the number is 444-999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.